Welcome to the sermon podcast of First Church of Christ, where our goal is to lead generations into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We pray that you are encouraged and challenged by today's message. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. If you're joining with us online, we're really glad that you're with us as well. A pastor once said this about heaven. Whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. A pastor said that about heaven. Because he had bought into one of the many misconceptions that we have about heaven. Whether we grew up in church, or whether we are new to church, or whether we've never even thought about going to church, and you just kind of stumbled on Facebook or YouTube, and you're just here. Uh, a lot of us uh, have some kind of belief about heaven, and a lot of them are wrong. And so that is why we are digging into this series today and for the next number of weeks about heaven. Because, you know, we're supposed to be excited about it. We all kind of have this idea that we're supposed to be excited about it, right? We know we're supposed to be excited. But a lot of us, we don't know what to expect. We just don't know what it's going to be. We have a lot of more questions than we have answers, right? Anybody there? Uh, and, and we also have these kinds of things that are taught that are wrong, um, and that we learn from a very early age. There's this book called What's Heaven? And it's a children's book designed to be for kids who are grieving the loss of a loved one. And this is what this book says. Now, this is not going to be on the screen, so you just have to sit back, relax, as if we're in school, and, and I'm reading story time to you, okay? Go back to that point. You're in kindergarten, preschool, story time. Got it? All right, good. Heaven is somewhere you believe in. It's a beautiful place where you can sit on soft clouds and talk to other people who are there. At night, you can sit next to the stars, which are the brightest of anywhere in the universe. If you're good throughout your life, then you get to go to heaven. When your life is finished here on earth, God sends angels down to take you up to heaven and be with him. Now, this is where it's having a conversation with uh, the child, kind of giving them uh, an idea of who they lost. So, and, and grandma is alive in me, the kid. Most important, she taught me to believe in myself. She's in a safe place where the, with the stars, with God and the angels. She is watching over us from up there. I want you to know, says the heroine to her great-grandma, that even though you are no longer here, your spirit will always be alive in me. So there's a lot of misconceptions just packed into that one little quote that I took from that book. And so today we're going to talk about five misconceptions about heaven. So note takers are going to love me today. Five misconceptions about heaven, many of them embedded in that quote, and we'll talk about some others as well. So five misconceptions about heaven. This is going to be more of a, a teaching than a typical sermon, uh, but we're, we're going to have some fun together as we go. Okay. All right. Number one, number one misconception about heaven. Heaven will be an endless floating on clouds playing the harp. We laugh, but like that is kind of like one of the things that we think about when we think about heaven. Now, I didn't, I only gave you the very first part of that quote from that pastor who said that about heaven. Let me go back and re just remind you what he said. Whenever I think about heaven, it makes me depressed. I'd rather just cease to exist when I die. Now, the person he was talking to asked him, well, okay, pump the brakes. Why do you feel that way? And, and this is the rest of the quote. This is what he said. I can't stand the thought of that endless tedium to float around in the clouds with nothing to do but strum a harp it's all so terribly boring 
Heaven doesn't sound much better than hell. I'd rather be annihilated than spend eternity in a place like that. And I'll just be honest with you, uh, as a fellow pastor to that guy, uh, if that really is what heaven is going to be like, I'm with him. That sounds horrible. Like, who of us want to just sit around every single day? Like, maybe a day after a long week, you're like, okay, I just want to sit here. I don't want to do anything but strum this harp that I got in the living room. I don't want to do anything. Like, I just want to do that. But after a few days, we're all like, this is it? Right? I gotta go do something. I gotta go do something, but that's for eternity? No, that sounds terrible. If that sounds terrible. So, let me give you an idea of what scripture actually says, what is in store for eternity. Revelation 21. This is what uh, the scriptures actually say about the afterlife and eternity. So, Revelation 21, verse 1, this is what it says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new Church, I need you to help me out. Then I saw a new heaven and a new, what's that word, church? And a new earth. Oh, that's interesting. Okay. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also, I need some help again. I also saw the holy, what's that word? The holy. Oh, that's interesting. The new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So the the picture we get from Scripture about the afterlife, about eternity, is not a picture of hanging out, strumming harps on a cloud. Like if, if playing a harp is your thing, I'm sure there will be a harp in, in the new earth for you to hang out and strum, Okay. I'm sure that it will be there. We will sing praises to God for eternity. However, what we see in Scripture is that there is a vastly different picture from what we typically think about when we think about eternity. Because it is not going to be this ethereal, just spiritual experience. We're going to be on a new place called the new earth. And this is the place where God is going to bring heaven down and heaven and earth will meet and stay together for all of eternity and we will be able to dwell together in a place kind of like where we are now. All the bad things will be gone. All the good things will be uh, exponentialized and we will be able to enjoy eternity in the new earth. Many of us don't ever hear that, right? Uh, so here's the thing. Let me let me just frame it a little bit differently, and we'll talk about this more later in the series, specifically week five, so don't miss that. Um, heaven, as it is called, heaven, quote-unquote heaven, is not your eternal destination if you follow Jesus. That's not what we call it. We don't call it heaven. More on, more on heaven uh, in a minute, but I know some of you are like, Brandon, you went off the deep end. You had me till then. Heaven and the new earth are different, okay? Got it? We'll we'll talk about this more as we go, okay. Uh, So, misconception number one. Heaven will be an endless floating on clouds playing the harp. I disagree. I don't think so. That's not what scripture says. Number two. Second misconception about heaven. Our goal destination, it plays kind of into this, the first one. Our goal destination is purely spiritual, not physical. So, here's the idea, right? Um... We see suffering, we see evil, and we have bad things that happen to us, and a lot of times we experience those things physically. Physically. 
And so uh, Plato was one of the people who kind of espoused this idea is that uh, the goal in life and, and when we die is that we get released from these bodies because these are we're in bondage to these bodies and we go away and then our spirit would leave the body and then be in eternity uh, in a spiritual realm. Now, that is true for paradise or as we would call heaven, uh, but that is not the goal. The goal is not just a simply spiritual experience. It will be physical. We just talked about a new earth, a city, all these things, right? And so Paul is talking about this conversation in 1 Corinthians 15, and he's talking about this idea of a body. Like, okay, what's the deal with the body thing? Because if Jesus rose from the grave, then he had a body, and he had a bodily existence. And what can we expect when the resurrection happens? So this is Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 is talking about Basically, if Jesus didn't rise from the grave, we are without hope. We are to be most pitied out of all the world. But because he did, this is what we have to hope for. So follow me here. This might get a little confusing. There's a lot of words that are used repeatedly, and it kind of gets confusing. But walk with me here. We'll walk together. We'll get it. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50 says this. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor can corruption inherit incorruption. So this is where a lot of people are like, oh, of course, so flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, so that therefore we will not have bodies in the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood is a Greek euphemism for life now. Okay? Life now. In other words, how we are now, we cannot inherit the kingdom of God as it is designed to be. We need something to change about us. And so he goes on. Verse 51. Listen, I am telling you a mystery. He understands. This is kind of hard to understand. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we will be changed. For this corruptible body, our current one, must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. We talked about that last week, that Jesus gives us life and immortality through the gospel, through what he has done. So verse 54, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. This is good news. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? I just kind of see it. You could say this with some attitude. Where death is your sting? You know, where's your victory? You know what I'm saying? That's kind of how I see it. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Why is this true? Because Jesus is going to give us an incorruptible, an immortal body, existence, where death will be no more. Jesus has already defeated death. Death and sin and Satan are fighting a losing battle, and one day they will all be thrown in the lake of fire, and they will be there for the rest of eternity, and we will be able to enjoy immortal existence, bodily existence, with Jesus for eternity. Verse 58, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So will we have just a purely spiritual existence? No. When we die and we experience paradise with Jesus, then yes, that will be our spirit uh, with him. Our soul will be with him. Uh, But when he comes back and we have a resurrection of everyone, everyone will rise and face judgment then we will have a new transformed body. Some translations use the word spiritual body. That's a little misleading because that gives you the idea that it's not physical. That's just 
it's physical. It's a new, glorified, immortal, incorruptible body, like actual body. Here's the thing. If we actually believe this, that we only have a goal of a spiritual existence, not physical, then we are basically saying God got it wrong in the beginning. Think about this. In Genesis, God created, right? He created what? He created the universe. He created the stars. He created the earth. He created physical stuff. He created all of it. And then he decided to do something really crazy cool uh, and create people like you. People made in his image. He created Adam and Eve, male and female. He created them. He created them in his image. Physical. They did not exist before this. They didn't just have like this existence as their spirit before they had a body. No, it all came together at once. And God, before sin came in, God looked at them and said, that's good. That's very good. And he patted himself on the back because he got the skills with a Z. Yeah. (laughs) Right? I know. And so if we say that we are destined for simply a spiritual existence, then we are saying God got it wrong. If you, I would just, oh, if you did this, you would, your mind would be blown. Uh, today, sometime today, read Genesis 1 through 3. That's it. You don't have to keep going. Genesis 1 through 3 and then Revelation 20 through 22. Read it all together because that is the picture of what God has been doing from day one, from when sin entered in. He's been on a mission to recreate and renew everything that went wrong and to recreate what was designed to be in the first place for us to be in in God's presence and for him to be with us on this earth. But he's going to make a new earth. It's going to be so beautiful. So, spiritual existence, not physical? No. We will have a physical existence. So, number three. We'll have a layover before coming to heaven called purgatory. Now, I'm not trying to pick on Catholics. I'm just picking on bad theology. Okay? So here's the idea. Um, Catholics would say that uh, purgatory is this idea that those who follow Jesus, understand this, they're not saying that people get a second chance after they die to uh, get a relationship with Jesus. What they're saying is that people who do follow Jesus on this day, on this earth right now, uh, will have, some of them will have this thing that they'll have to work through. So the idea of purgatory is some people will get through this life, and this is the idea, some people will get through this life and there will still be impurities in us. That kind of makes sense, right? Like, yeah, like we've still got some stuff that we struggle with. Make sense? Uh, but they will not be able to enter into heaven until those things are purified out of them. And so it'll be like this, right? Uh, let's just say after you die, you get in a plane. This is not how it was going to work. But let's just say, for illustration's sake. We get in a plane and we're like, oh, we're going to go to heaven. This is going to be great. Like, I've got my bags packed. i got my one carry-on. They charge me for another one. I just, you know, it's whatever. Uh, so I get in, you know. Uh, anyone deathly afraid of flying? Definitely afraid of flying? Okay, so, all right, cool. So most of you are used to flying, or you got, got the idea. So we're, we're on the plane, we get there, and uh, uh, it does not look how we thought it would. Uh, we are at the uh, Purgatory Airport, right? And we, like, we walk out of the tarmac and into the terminal, and we look, and there is a big flashing sign. And it says, Welcome to Purgatory, where, where Jesus' sacrifices wasn't sufficient. Because that's basically what it's saying. That Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient. The idea that we would uh, have impurities 
uh, and then therefore not be able to get into heaven because uh, of that, and we need to be more purified, is to say that Jesus didn't get it right the first time. What is true, what scripture teaches, is that when, when we surrender to Jesus, his perfection is credited to us. So that yes, we, we still struggle with stuff and he's sanctifying us. Uh, the Holy Spirit is working in us, in our lives, so that we would become more like Jesus as we follow Jesus. But I would love to ask someone who believes in purgatory, have you ever met a person who you think wouldn't need to go to purgatory before they go to heaven? Do you, like, you think you got them impurities taken out of you already? That's not what scripture teaches. And I'll show you what scripture teaches instead in Luke, uh, Jesus himself, and I think he's a pretty good authority on the subject. Uh, he says this in uh, Luke chapter 23. He's on the cross and he's having a conversation with the other people who are on the cross too. He's surrounded by two criminals on either side of him. And this is what it says. The people stood watching... And even the leaders were scoffing. Ha, he saved others. Let him save himself. This is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Ha, ha. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. That was right. Verse 39. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Yeah, ha, ha. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. Do it. But the other answered, rebuking him. Don't you even fear God, since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly, because we are getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today. It's a one-way one ticket. No, no layover. And, and let's think about it. Of all people, wouldn't this man be one of the prime candidates for a place called purgatory? Like he said, he accepted Jesus. I mean, he, he didn't like work through his issues, did he? He didn't like go and seek forgiveness from the people he wronged. He didn't. He didn't go and like make up for it. He didn't go and love people like Jesus loved him. Wouldn't he be the prime candidate for a place like that? Yeah. And yet, Jesus says, hey, today, not tomorrow, not a, not a few weeks from now, today you will be with me in paradise. That seems to say that Jesus is sufficient for us. Never get it twisted. You don't add anything to Jesus. It's, it's Jesus that's it. That's the only reason any of us have hope. It's not Jesus and your good deeds. We'll get to that in a minute. It's not Jesus and anything else. It's Jesus. That's it. So, we'll have a layover before coming to heaven called purgatory. Misconception. Lie. Not true. No layover. No stop to sit and wait. A direct route. And the church said, Amen. Yeah. Number four. People will have the opportunity to follow God after they die. Anybody like going to escape rooms? Anybody? A few of you. Anybody uh, not been to an escape room? Oh, man, y'all got to get out. Okay. <laughs> all right. Seriously, though. Okay, here's the idea of what the escape room is like, all right? It sounds terrible, but it's fun, all right? You just got to live a little bit. 
Uh, and it's okay. So you go to this place. They're sometimes sketchy, but you know, for the most part, they're they're not. Uh, <laughs> hey, come in. I'll, I got a room. I'll lock you in it. You know, it's fun. <laughs> you know, that's basically what it is. Uh, okay, so you go there and you got this storyline, and you're you're supposed to. You got you know, you got the setting. You got to work through it and. For some reason, you got to get out. And so uh, recently, for Sarah's birthday, she loves escape rooms. Uh, and so we went and did that uh, with her and her mom and stepdad. And so we went there. And the, the scenario was we had to rob this person, um, you know, in their vault. Because naturally, you know, I'm the prime candidate for that. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's fun. It's fun. You know, hopefully I didn't end up on the news banner because of this, you know. Uh, <laughs> and so we, we go there and uh, we get into this room and it's in a bank. You know, and so we gotta find all the clues to be able to get to the spot where we can finally get into the vault, figure out how to get into the vault, and then we can find the thing in the vault that we can get to get out so that we can get out and, and win the game, right? Uh, cause we don't wanna go to jail, like that would be a bad day, uh, cause then I would end up in the news banner and y'all be like, oh, I got some questions, but some of y'all would be like, ha, I figured, uh, you know. <laughs> so, you know, uh, so we're doing it, we're trying, we're trying our hardest, and, and we're, we're focused. And Sarah and I have done some escape rooms, so we're, we're thinking we might be able to get this thing. And we finally get in the vault, and, and, uh, time's, time's ticking by, and we can't figure it out, and ding, 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 it's, it's over. We, we did not get out. We didn't get out. We're arrested, and it's not a good day. And so the guy who, like, is the, the coach, or kind of like the supervisor, makes sure we don't do something stupid in the, in the, Rooms, he's like, he comes in and he's like, hey, you know, how did you guys have fun? And we're like, no, we didn't because we didn't win. Uh, and like, how close were we? And he's like, oh man, you guys were so close. You had like these two other steps and that's all you needed to, to do it. And if you, oh, if you got this thing, you would have gotten 10 extra minutes. That would have been awesome. I'm like, yeah, that would have been really cool. Thanks. Um, and so now we've got all the answers. We know how to do it. We could go back, same room and figure it out. We could maybe even set a record. But, now that we have all the answers, is that how it works with God? When we die, we like figure out, oh, wait, hold up. This Jesus thing was for real, for real? Like not just for real, but for real, for real, for real? Like that, that's okay. Now I need to go back. And God's like, because he loves us so much, he's going to give us another chance to kind of maybe change our mind so that we can be like, oh, yeah, he is the Lord. Let me worship him. Let me go to heaven when I die. And that's, that's just not what scripture teaches. And I get it. I get why we go there. Um, because a lot of us, we've dealt with death. We've dealt with death close to, with cl- people close to us. We've dealt with death with people close to us who didn't seem like they followed Jesus. Like, we've dealt with that, right? And so, like, in our heart of hearts, because we, we love them so much, we desire, we hope that this would be the scenario. That the scenario would be like God would give us another chance. But I think we believe that because we don't realize just how just God is. Did you catch that? We don't realize just how just God is. Notice, let me read that passage again that we just read again. And, and just, I want you to notice the other guy, the other dude, okay? Because there's two dudes. There's three. Jesus is a dude too. Um, all right. You guys are going crazy, okay? All right. Verse 35. The people stood watching and even the leaders were scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself. If this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldier also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals, hanging there, began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. In addition to, you know, 
other insults. But the other answered, rebuking him, don't you even fear God since you are undergoing the same punishment? We are punished justly because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, remember me uh, when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I tell you. Now, who's he talking to? You. Like, this ain't uh, like a, a y'all you. You know what I'm saying? It ain't a y'all you. It's just a you. You will be with me today in paradise. Today, just, just the guy, just the one dude, not the other guy. And, and it doesn't, doesn't say anything about him getting a second chance at, at going to paradise. He can't jump onto Expedia real quick and try and find it. It's not, it's not working. And that's a hard thing. That's like a hard thing to swallow. Because a lot of us, we know people. Who, from our standpoint, we don't know for sure. None of us know. If someone says they know what someone's destination is, just ignore them, walk away. We don't know where people really are, but Jesus is pretty explicit. And he, we talked about what he said yes, like last week. Is that the majority of the people won't, won't reach life after death. They won't reach abundant life after death. They will not be in heaven when they die. And, the fact remains, though, that Jesus tells us that he's the only way. He's the only way. God does not brush aside any of our sins. None of them. The little ones, the big ones, none of them. None of them are just over there waiting to be dealt with. The only reason we have hope is because Jesus took every single one of our sins And brought it with him to the cross. And when we surrender to him, we receive credited to our account the debt that was owed to God because of our sin. He punishes. He is just. There is nothing that happens on this earth that goes unpunished. And isn't that good? Because there's a lot of people who do a lot of evil in this world who get away with it. And God is not going to let that slide. He is just. And he will punish the evildoer. He will punish evil. And the only hope we have is to follow Jesus, to let Jesus be the sacrifice for our lives. Otherwise, we have no hope. So, verse or number four, people will have the opportunity to follow God after they die. That's not what Scripture, sees. scripture teaches. Number five, this is the big one. Good people go to heaven. Now, I know I've talked about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot because it is one that is hard to get out of our bones. Because it just makes sense, right? It just makes sense that if I'm a good person, I get to go to heaven. And we like this in America, right? Like we pull, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, do that well. Uh, meritocracy, we, we, we are able to do well and we get rewarded for that. And that is what makes sense to us. You know, you can, you will. The self-actualization philosophy and sentiment, we love it. We love the idea of good people go to heaven because none of us think we're not good. Because we always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, right? I mean, I killed the dude, but, you know, he had it coming, right? (laughs) He did, you know, feel justified. Or I did that one thing, but if you understood the story, like if you understood the reality, it's not a big deal. And that's the really the, the, the... frustrating part or the brunt of the the question of good people go to heaven well according to who like good according to what good 
What is good? Like, am I good if, if I just, you know, I, I listen or I, I look at them while they're talking, but I don't listen to what they're saying, but I smile? Is that good? You know? Am I good if I like let that person in front of me in traffic, if I let them go through? Is that good? Is that good enough? If, if, if I don't cuss a lot, is that good? Is that, that, that how it works? Am I, am I good if I throat punch someone in the, in the name of Jesus? You know, is that good? Does that work? What is good? Like according to what? According to who? On what day? Right? According to yourself? How does that work? We're all, I don't know, that was good yesterday. They don't seem very good today. Right? According to your spouse? Is, it, is that who gets to decide? According to the government? According to your parents? Is that who gets to decide what ultimate good is? According to your kids? You know, they're picking the boogers and they're like, hey, that ain't good, you know? This is good, though, you know? <laughs> Who gets to decide what is good? We have to really figure it out. Who gets to decide? I think the one who would make sense to decide what is good is the creator of the universe. Just saying. And, and this is what he says about this subject of goodness and uh, heaven and all that stuff. So Re- Romans chapter 3, um, starting in verse 10 uh, he says this, there is no one righteous, not even one. I guess we get to go home now, you know. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All alike have become worthless. There is no one who does what is good, not even one. Their throat, not because they got punched, but their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths, in the paths of peace. They have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Who's he talking about? All of us. That doesn't sound too good, y'all. But he goes on. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed. Attested by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, I said this last week, I've said this before. Good people... They don't go to heaven. Because there are none. Only forgiven people go to heaven. Wretched, evil sinners like you and me who have been forgiven and been transformed into saints, children of God. No longer enemies, but children. That's, That's it. See, this is the biggest misconception. This is a lie from the pit of hell. The biggest misconception about heaven is that you could arrive there apart from Jesus. That's the biggest lie. Because think about it. Satan got kicked out. He got kicked out of the heavenly realm because he wanted to be God. He wanted to be God, not be like God. He wanted to be God. And he, t- he brought angels with him who also rebelled 
and they are his demons. And they are fighting a losing battle because when Jesus rose from the grave, y'all, it was all done for them. But just like in other wars, when, when the one side surrenders and the rest of the people don't know that they surrender, do they still keep fighting? That's what, that's what Satan's doing. He's lost the war. He's still trying to take as many of us with him as possible. Because he wants to subvert the authority of God. So he does not want you worshiping God. He does not want you surrendering to Jesus. He wants you to think that you can do this on your own. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. He does not want you to see that you can't do it on your own. See, here's the thing. Think about this. Uh, our nation has like how much debt? Like trillions, right? I mean, we don't even know what that means. Trillions. It's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff, a lot of money. Let's just say, scenario, okay? Just, just, just make believe with me, okay? Let's just say that the government has sent you a letter. And it said, hey, you, not, not all, us, not y'all, just you. You have to pay the debt of the nation. And like, if you don't, you're going to die. How would that work out? Oh, sure. Check. No, it ain't happening, right? You ain't going to be able to do it. Well, here's the thing. Our sin debt dwarfs our nation's financial debt individually. Our sin debt, like this is why we don't just don't get it. Our sin debt is so much higher than our nation's financial debt. Because we've sinned against a holy, infinite, eternal God. And when we sin against a God like that, we have an infinite price. Not trillions, infinite. Never ending. Never sufficient to pay it. Requires eternity of punishment. So again, Jesus loves you. And that's why he came to die for you. But you have to choose whether or not you follow him. See, Jesus was the only one who could pay it. He's the only one who could do this long enough to pay the price that all of us have incurred. He's the only one. None of us could do it. There ain't no, there's no uh, 401k good enough for this. There's no get rich, scheme, get rich scheme good enough for this. It, ain't, it just ain't happening. None of us can pay it. But all of, it, all of us owe it. And so the only way to have us be able to have our accounts um, justified before God is to allow him to do it for us. It's a really good deal, y'all. It's a really good deal. And it only comes through surrendering to Jesus. Here's the thing. You don't have to understand everything about heaven to surrender to him. It's okay. But what he does say, Scripture tells us that uh, Jesus is the only way. And he talks about this idea of faith. Y'all have heard this word faith, right? Um, I want to tell you the Greek word for this. And this is really important, especially when you say it to your friends because you want to impress them. Make sure you pronounce it fully, okay? The word is pistis. You know what I'm saying? Like, you got to say it all the way. Pistis. That's the Greek word for faith. Now, we have equated faith with belief, that's part of it, but that's not the full story. Faith is more about allegiance. Which allegiance is about your whole essence. Pledging to whoever you have allegiance with. We understand the pledge of allegiance, right? We understand that. Jesus is asking us to have our allegiance, our full allegiance with him. Every part of it. 
And so what does it look like to surrender to Jesus? Then it, it, it means to trade our allegiances we have in this world and that we have that we worship for allegiance to him and him alone. Yes, we can be good citizens where we are. I'm not, I'm not saying that you don't do that. But the best way you can be a citizen is to be, have your allegiance fully with him. And so what does that look like? Then if, if a faith means allegiance, then that means when uh, you surrender to him, you automatically repent. Because you can't repent and have your allegiance with someone if you don't turn to them, right? Repentance is the idea that I've been going down this path, and I've been trying to do it myself. I've been sinning, and I know I have, uh, and, and I don't know what to do, but I'm, I've been trying to go down my own path. I realize that that's not working. I turn to God, and I pledge my allegiance to Jesus. Now, if you pledge your allegiance to Jesus, you confess that he's Lord, right? That just makes sense now. That he's the king. He's, he's the one enthroned in heaven. And then scripture also tells us that this is a holistic kind of surrender. Where we don't just surrender with our will, surrender with our, with our mouth, but we surrender with our whole body. And scripture talks about this idea of baptism. And this idea of baptism is we are, we are surrendering not just to Jesus, but we're also surrendering to the person baptizing us, our brother, our, our about to be brother and sister in Christ, whoever it is. And we go down to the waters. Romans 6 talks about this. When we go down in the waters of baptism, we join Jesus in his death and we rise up, we join him in his new life. And then we live a life of allegiance to Jesus. That's what it looks like to surrender to Jesus. And we surrender to Jesus because we know that he's king. We know that he's Lord. We know that he's in charge. Not just because he gives us some cool stuff like heaven and the new earth. But because we want to follow him. Because this is just makes sense. This is what life is all about. Is Not you. Him. And so... We surrender to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to him, every part of us, every piece of us. And so if you've never done that, then I would encourage you to talk to me after service. I would love to talk to you about what that looks like. Or talk to someone who you know follows Jesus, who you're with. Maybe they invited you. Talk to them about what it looks like to surrender to Jesus. And maybe some of you, who you already know this. <laughs> Thanks for the review, Brandon. You probably know some people in your life who don't know this. And it's important for us to understand all the misconceptions that we have about heaven, all the misconceptions we have about life. And maybe, just maybe, you're the, you're the person who could speak life into someone else's life and help them to, to surrender to Jesus too. So if that's you and you don't know where to start, I'd love to talk to you. Talk to someone around you. Talk to someone who invested in you. This is what it's about. Helping people surrender to Jesus. If you're online and uh, you, you can't come see me, reach out to us online. Uh, FCCFamily.com slash contact would be great. Or social media, whichever. We'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So church, never get it twisted. You can't get to heaven. You can't get to the afterlife of hope and flourishing without Jesus. You just can't. So church, would you stand? We're going to sing and praise our God. And I hope and pray that you don't miss next week because we're going to talk about the question, will hell be the party place? Will hell be the party place? Because that's what we've heard, right? I want to go to hell. That sounds way more fun. Is that how it's going to be? We'll talk about it. Let's pray.
God, thank you so much for loving us, for caring for us, and for giving us hope, giving us an ability to not only just have hope for someday when, when we pass away, when we die, but hope right now. Hope that even though we go through very difficult times right now, you are with us. Jesus, would you please just continue the work that you started in each and every one of us? For the person who's never surrendered to you, God, I pray that you would continue to work on their heart, that you would show them that you are the best thing they can live for, the best one. For those who have already surrendered to you and are living a life of allegiance with you, God, would you encourage them? Would you encourage them with what is to come and what they have right now? God, I pray that as we worship you and praise you, that it would be pleasing to you as we sing. We love you, Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast by First Church of Christ in Bluffton, Indiana. For more information, visit FCCFamily.com.